0: I'm Dan, and I'm going to be your sky pilot for this journey. Quark is my co-pilot. He's literally from out of this world. And this is, surprisingly enough, our 199th episode of this podcast. Next episode is going to be the 200th, because that's how this works. After 199, you have 200. Anyway, we begin this week with an email from someone who's responding to last week's episode. Not only did this person share her response to last week's material, but she left me wondering, why have I not done an episode on this before? It is so obvious. So buckle up for the journey ahead as we answer the question, is Jesus our template? Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Okay, so as I said, I received an email in response to last week's episode. When I get responses, they normally fall into three basic categories. One, I agree with you, and your episode really spoke to me. It touched me. Hmm. Do you get many of those? Oh, yeah. A lot. Really? First of all, you don't need to sound quite so surprised. And second, I mean, yes, I write most of them and then send them to myself, but they are so much fun to receive. So moving on, the second type is someone who says, I disagree with you and consider you the lowest kind of heretical vermin. Interestingly, after reading a lot of these, I discovered that very often the person doesn't actually disagree with me. Well, I don't know if they do or they don't because they just didn't listen to or watch the episode. They are responding to the point they think I'm going to be making after they read the title alone. And don't they know they can't judge a podcast by its title? Agreed. Hmm. Thanks. I mean, you have to listen to a podcast to really know how truly terrible it might be. Yeah, thanks for your support. Okay, moving on. The third and final category is someone who, after watching or listening to my episode, had a question about God or about faith or about religion that they want to ask. And These are really fun when I receive um, them. Do you? Yes, I do actually get these, and no, I don't write them to myself. But this past week, I received something that fit into none of these three categories. It was a person who wanted, well, who wanted to share the way she had experienced a piece of the material that I had shared. Her name is Anne. Um, Did you get permission to use her name? Yes, I asked her and got her permission. Of course. Oh, good. Her only stipulation was that if her name gets printed, please make sure that it has an E. So, Anne with an E, it is. Now, if you listen to our previous episode, you will recall that last week I told a story about asking a question on Reddit, and then I gave some of the answers from the people who had responded to my question. And a person who goes by the screen name Naugrith, well, well, this was part of his reply, and I'm going to read it to you now. Christians are convinced that the first century teacher called Jesus the Nazarene was the perfect human embodiment of God, and that his life should be the template for our own. Now, back to Anne. Basically, she wanted to tell me a story and how it influenced how she heard that passage that I just read to you from Naugrith. So this is the gist of the story. She and I went back and forth several times so I could get a few more details just to flesh out her story. A number of years ago, Anne worked in a high-end dining establishment. It was one of those places You know, with high-end clientele, high-end food, high-end services, high-end prices. And the best way to describe the setting for the restaurant would be, um... Um, high-end? Yes, nicely said. The chef was talented, impressive, and let's just say, intense. And one day, late in November or early December, he announced that he was going to dedicate the better part of a couple of days to building a gingerbread house to put on display in the restaurant for the month of December. Now, his intensity meant that not everyone on the staff got along with him. So when looking for volunteer help, our listener was the only one who stepped up. And she said partly because she had recently made a gingerbread house herself on a much, much smaller scale, and she was eager to learn. So before they got started, the chef said, now, in order to do this successfully, we need a template she had used a template for her. She had cut out on some graph paper the shape and size she wanted each piece to be. She'd rolled out the dough, placed the template on top, and cut the dough to size and shape. But his template was like that but went way beyond that. He cut the dough to size and shape like she had but then created walls out of cardboard that went around the shaped dough. The idea was to make sure that the baked gingerbread didn't have a chance to deform in any unexpected ways. The template was to make sure that every single piece turned out as expected with little to no variance, no surprises at all after it was baked. So here, for me, is the interesting part from the email. When she listened to the answer describing Jesus as the template for our lives, that didn't work for her. She had a negative reaction to that word. Now, let me be clear. Her email was not a criticism of the podcast material. Instead, she said, you're always asking for responses, and this is what I thought about. So I thought, yeah, why not give it a try and send it in and share with you what it made me think about. Hmm, That's really nice. Yeah. It is. So when Nogreth describes Jesus as a template, and with an E, thinks of the image as confining and exacting forms that are designed to make sure there's no variance, no error, and everything turns out according to precise expectations. In other words, the image of template for her implied that Jesus wants us all to turn out the same. Oh, got it. She didn't like What is the phrase that you all use that I think would work here rather nicely? Oh, yes, cookie cutter. She didn't like the cookie cutter expectations of Jesus that the word template implied for her. Yeah, exactly. Nice summary. Now, I should say... I loved this email, and after reading it, I suddenly thought to myself, of course, why haven't I done an episode about this before? Okay, I'm lost. About templates. Well, no, not exactly. But talking about templates is the perfect way, kind of non-threatening way, to begin the discussion. There are those of us who hear the description of Jesus as a template and think, oh, that's absolutely perfect. There are people who hear this metaphor and think, sure that works. It doesn't excite me. Okay, it works. And there are people who find the template image as exclusionary rather than inclusionary. Like Anne with an E. In other words, that particular way of thinking about Jesus doesn't draw them towards him but makes him instead actually less appealing. Now, before you think to yourself, well, this is the perfect example of an overly sensitive world where everyone's needs are catered to, let me just make a point. Every single Christian pastor that I have known who's worth a flip is aware of this and uses it, to some extent, in their ministry all the time. I'm sure there are some who don't, but the vast majority and the good ones all do. Now, allow me to give you an example. A number of years ago, I was doing some pastoral counseling with a woman from my parish. And as we began to talk about her upbringing, she shared with me that she had been repeatedly sexually abused by her father when she was pretty young. At the end of our session, she had some specific things that she wanted me to pray for, for her, going forward. And so we bowed our heads And I took a couple of moments of silence to form the prayer that I would say. Now, one of the classic ways to start a prayer is to name God and then describe God, and then you move into the body of the prayer. This is one of those times in which I immediately knew that beginning my prayer with calling God, God the Father, and then following that with using paternal images to describe God would have been, well, counterproductive to the healing she needed. So the point here is actually pretty simple. Christian images, Christian metaphors to describe God are not one-size-fits-all, and that can be a very helpful thing to know and to remember. First, you may find yourself asked about your faith by someone, and then, when you begin to tell the person, they seem almost hostile. I've had this happen myself. Why would they be unreceptive and hostile when they just asked you about your faith? Well, it may be that you are describing God in ways that work for you, but are actually pushing the other person away. Okay, stop. I have a question. Is it really our job to change the way we speak about God in order to make other people comfortable or to help them understand our faith? Well, the short answer is, yeah, I think so. Well, of course you do. Well, the Apostle Paul did as well. He did? Remember Acts 17? Paul is in Athens and notices that the city's filled with temples of all sorts. And then he comes across a shrine of some sort, an altar, with the inscription that it's dedicated to an unknown God. And then he says to the people of Athens, let me tell you about a God that is unknown to you, but known to me. He uses the imagery, not that works for him personally, but that works for the people to whom he's speaking. He uses the imagery that he feels they are most likely to connect with. So, the lesson of today is how to be more sensitive when doing evangelism. Actually, no. I mean, it could be, but no, that's not my primary point here. The point is more about when you talk about your faith with others... It helps to be aware that the imagery that speaks to you may not only not be positive for the person to whom you are speaking, but may actually be spiritually repugnant, repulsive to them. I don't think any of us wants to be that person. But wait, there's more. Equally important, and probably just as useful, is being aware of this when you are on, well, your own journey of spiritual discovery. Because I've frequently encountered people who wanted to strengthen their faith, but went through, well, several communities of faith and felt further from God after each one rather than when they had started. Eventually, they discovered this has nothing to do with the actual nature of God, but instead the way God was being described by the churches they had joined. If you find yourself wanting a stronger faith, but increasingly turning away from God, the problem isn't with God or you, it's probably with the metaphors someone else is using to describe God to you. Change your metaphor, and you may find you change your relationship with God. That's all for today. So what do you think? Ever had a metaphor used to describe God that you found, well, didn't work for you at all? Or perhaps you eventually found one that really works for you? If you'd like to share either one of those with me, I would love to hear from you. My email address is dan at skypilot.zone. And as I said, as always, I love to hear from you. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for joining us here today and being part of the SkyPilot Faith Quest community. This is a great place to ask questions you wouldn't feel comfortable or safe asking in other places. And remember, the sign of a strong faith solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.